chapter 19 and 20, when Jesus comes back, joy to the world, when Jesus is king, that's what it was written for. It became a popular Christmas song because Jesus did come the first time, but it's also about the second coming as well. So we can sing at any time, can't we? Uh, and, and I vote for that. I don't know if I get outvoted, but I'll vote for that song to be played all throughout the year. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Or maybe we can sing, the Lord will come. And he will. A couple of things before we forget, uh, just to remind everyone, we did start a new uh, book on Wednesday, Book of Malachi, and it is very timely into uh, the life of the, of the uh, not this, just this fellowship, but the body of Christ, God's messenger for his people. And if you read the four chapters, chapter four is very short, very, very short, but it leads into the day of the Lord. And so it has some implications prophetically for the church as well as for Israel. So we, uh, we just started this past Sunday, uh, Wednesday, and uh, we'll continue on for probably over the next uh, three weeks. We'll probably be done with it. Uh, but it's very, very timely for the times in which we live. A couple of announcements, and then I'll, we'll get started. Um, there it is. Mark Anthony, thanks for being with us today. Um, if you guys remember, we prayed for him. He was in a car accident on Thanksgiving week, and his father... Brother Mark is here, and he texted us. He told us what happened, and we prayed. And I was on the road, and um, the Lord was merciful and gracious, and he's here with us today. Praise the Lord. He's seen the pictures. You broke your arm. That was it. And then a couple of bruises here and there. Okay. And, um, but if you've seen the picture of the car, the car didn't do so well. And um, they would have to get him. They got him out of with the jaws of life, right? Is that what they got him out? Okay. And you got to see the car just to see as a testimony of God's goodness and grace. Absolutely. And uh, I know some of you guys met Jonathan. He's from Ohio, but he came to this fellowship. And he's a wonderful brother. He's a believer. He's, we baptized him. And he's in Ohio. He lives in Ohio. Visited us. And uh, he had a motorcycle accident. He was dead on arrival. Um, I don't know how long ago that was. And um, the Lord brought him back. And um, he, he was here last year. We baptized him, and he had surgery yesterday, or, or sorry, a couple of days ago. And he's doing better. And uh, you can see some of the pictures if you're friends with his mother. Uh, but he is, uh, he's doing better, and he wanted us to know that he's doing fine. Thank you for your prayers. And um, we met him here. Um, wonderful, wonderful brother. Uh, he's got a whole testimony. It'll take me a whole service to explain it. Uh, but he was, supposed to, he was supposed to die in that accident, and the Lord brought him back. So the Lord is able to do the impossible. When man things are impossible, with God, all things are possible. And uh, the biggest miracle is when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And I was talking to Susie today, and uh, she informed me this morning that uh, Phil, her husband, uh, has uh, become a believer in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Through faith and repentance, we could become born again. And um, I told Susie, we should just cancel service, go to her house, have a party. And, and she said, no, so I'm here. I'm, I'm back again. So uh, what a blessing. We went to see him, um, I think when Sergio was here from Colorado, and I uh, should inform Sergio. We prayed for uh, Phil, and we thanked the Lord so much for his mercy and grace. And we still need to pray for Phil for his health as he needs to get better and um, struggling with, um, and I don't know exactly what it is, Susie. It's, not, it's like leukemia, but it's not leukemia. It's, okay, 
Okay, so we need to pray for, keep praying for Phil. And um, I did get a notice from a lady that uh, watches uh, our YouTube channel. Um, I don't know exactly where she lives, but she's uh, been very faithful to the fellowship. She has been diagnosed with leukemia. Her name is uh, Grace, or Janet Grace. Janet Grace, and um, we want to pray for her as well. And um, where is Jim? Is Jim's outside? Okay, Jim's outside. And uh, Brandy's, um, Brandy's his daughter, you guys have met her, wonderful. Her, one of her best friends is in the hospital. She has uh, cancer, and uh, I don't know how much they're giving her to live, but she's uh, in need of prayer. So we want to lift her up in prayer today as well, and Brandy's been there to help her and through this. Uh, so pray for the uh, Ruther family, and as they minister to this family as well, that it has the, uh, the wife has leukemia, or not leukemia, but a cancer. I uh, wasn't sure which one I was. It's leukemia. It is. Oh, you were there. That's right. Molly. That's why he has a better brain than me. Yeah. <laughs> Molly. I could, forgot her name. Molly. And we need to pray for her as well. So let's join in prayer. Ask the Lord for his gracious and powerful, miraculous hand to intervene. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Phil. We thank you for what you've done in him. After, Lord, these battles and his heart and mind, uh, Lord, you... Uh, we'll always win. Lord, it behooves us to, to surrender to you. And so, Lord, thank you for the surrender life of Phil. And may he grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Please take care of him, Lord, health-wise. Bring him back, Lord, to, uh, Lord, his body to normal health, and he would be able to join us in fellowship as we pray for him, Lord. We love him. We thank you for him. And, and Lord, we, we can sing hallelujah with the angels. As you said, there's a Great joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the grace and mercy you've had upon Jonathan, for the grace and mercy you've had upon Mark Anthony. Lord, for the grace and mercy you have brought these young men uh, with seemingly uh, the grasp of, of, um, of death and into eternity. But, Lord, you kept them. And, Lord, may they thank you and may they give you honor and glory for you have spared them and you have brought them here today, Lord. Thank you for Jonathan and Mark as well, Lord. We lift up, Lord Molly, to you. We pray, Father, for your grace and mercy upon her. Please restore her, Lord. And I pray for Brandy and the Ruther family. They'll be ministering to her and her family as well. Please, Lord, heal her and bring her, Lord, to recovery. Uh, I know, Lord, she loves you. She knows you. And asking you, Lord, that you give her the grace to continue. And Lord, we lift up Tony, Lord, to you. Uh, Tony that um, had a accident at home uh, this past few days, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, that you would recover him, Lord, quickly, and um, ultimately, Lord, we pray that there would be no brokenness in his body, and that you just bring him back to our fellowship, so we lift him up, as well as Susie, and thank you, Lord, for your grace upon them, and uh, we ask you, Lord, that you would bless our study today, not because of us, Lord, but because of your grace. We thank you, Lord, for our Bibles. We thank you, Lord, for the men who wrote it. We thank you, Lord, for the men who translated it, and we thank you, Lord, for those who ministered to us and brought us to faith in Jesus and showed us the scriptures and taught us the scripture, Lord. We thank you for all those men and women who helped us along the way, but Lord, for your spirit that will teach us here today. Help us, Lord, to learn and understand, but not much more to learn, Lord, but to practice it and to live it and to make you, Lord, uh, uh, to give you a pleasing sight, Lord, in our lives, that you'd be pleased with how we live, and how we love one another. So this thing we praise you, Lord, and all this in Jesus, our Lord, 
Amen. Galatians chapter 5, and we are almost done with the book. I'm going to miss it, but we'll pick up another one, and we'll love that one as well. Galatians chapter 5, we've been reading together for quite a few months. We're verse 13 today, and Paul has related to us that legalism and performance-based does not equal righteousness. You cannot attain righteousness through the keeping of the Mosaic law in the Old Covenant. This is what the Judaizers were trying to make the Galatians believe, that you can be good enough for God and make it into eternity to be saved and to have, your, to have salvation. Have it started in faith, you were going to be made right by keeping the Mosaic law. So you start with faith, but you continue by your own efforts and keeping of the law. That's what the Judaizers were doing. And Paul says, absolutely not. Christians, because of the Holy Spirit, we've been born again. We're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of the Spirit. We're under a different law, and I will explain what that means. And Paul dealt with it very, very clearly in the last five or four and a half chapters. Chapter 5, from this point on, he's going to address something that is just as difficult and just as pervasive and just as dangerous as legalism, and that is to be ruled by self, to be ruled by self. Having thrown off the yoke of legalism, people go into what Paul would say in other parts of Scripture, licentiousness. Licentiousness is just a fancy word that means you have a license to do what you want because you've thrown off the law. You've thrown off the keeping of the law. Therefore, you feel now you're free. You're free to do whatever you want. Licentiousness. So this is the way people react to legalism. Legalism in the biblical sense has to do with trying to obtain salvation through keeping the Mosaic law. We talked about that at length. Mosaic law was never to bring any righteousness or any salvation to you. It was simply a mirror. It was simply a thermometer to show us who we really are and to gauge our temperature that we are truly sinners in the eyes of God. We've truly broken God's commandments, and therefore we have been uh, under the law of Moses, under the law of sin, under the law of death, and it was like a prison, Paul said. It kept us under guard. It kept us in a prison. That means you were bound by the performances. You were bound to do that. You had to do it. And, of course, 613 commandments demands that you keep them all. You can't pick and choose which ones you like, and you like to keep one or the other. Like we mentioned before, everybody likes the fact that they can keep the fact that the Bible says, don't eat spiders, don't eat a bat. I think everybody fulfilled that today. Maybe, right? Mark, did you do that today? Okay, that, that does happen. Broken God's commandments. However, there are other 612. We know the only 10. We know 10 very well, called the Ten Commandments. And they're like a, a chain link. You broke one, you broke the malls, like hanging off a cliff with a chain. If one of those links is a commandment and you broke one of them, it doesn't matter if you kept the other ones. That chain will go down and you'll go down with it. And therefore, it was like a prison. It was to show you that you were wrong it was to show you that God's holy and righteous and good, and it was to demonstrate your inability to keep God's commandments. But it was never meant to 
bring any righteousness into you. Why? Because the righteousness that you would need as far has to exceed the ones of the Pharisees. Jesus said you would need a righteousness far more than those who practice being righteous. Of course, they were practicing self-righteousness. God wanted to give us the righteousness of his son. And therefore, the first two chapters of Galatians, it was all about the liberty of Jesus. Christians are the most freed, the most, the most uh, liberty, the most, uh, the, the, the most free people in the world is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and we should be absolutely excited about that. But we behave in such opposite ways that we mourn almost the fact that we're Christians sometimes. And instead of having the express liberty of saying, like, we're so free from sin, from the law, from the requirements of the law. And, of course, chapter 3 and 4, we've been talking about that. Next thing Paul is going to address is this, licentiousness, license to sins. Having thrown out the law, and this is where a lot of people become confused, and they say, well, pastor, you need something to keep people from sinning. You can't just let people do whatever they want. And that is one I guess, point that people have to say, you need the law. You need to have some kind of requirements. Otherwise, people can think they can do whatever they want. And the fact of the matter is, that does happen, doesn't it? When people become so, they've been raised in a home of very strict legalistic rules, and, and people get out of those homes, and they leave their parents' house, and they go, and they go, freedom! And they actually get worse. They actually become more troubled. And so if the legalism... In the Mosaic Law is a prison, licentiousness is a slope down to the swamp of sin and the muck of denigrating sinfulness, denigrating a swamp of lust and all the things that Paul is going to describe. And so if legalism is a cell, licentiousness is a slope down into the swamp of sin. And that is not true freedom. People think, I've thrown the law off, I'm free. True freedom, Paul says, and he's going to be very clear on this. True freedom is the life of the Spirit. It's the life of the Spirit. It's not being ruled by laws or regulations imposed by others. I, 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 I dread the fact that there are churches who give laws, they give you know, sort of regulations to members of their church. This is how you ought to behave, and this is what we're not allowed. You can't go to the movies. You can't do this. You can't do that. And uh, they, 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 they're doing it because they're trying to regulate people's behavior. That's not freedom. You're going back under the cell. Remember the cell? I'm being back under regulations. But they say, well, you have to give them something. Otherwise, people are just going to go out of the church and do whatever they want. They're going to, you know, fornicate. They're going to, you know, smoke dope and things like that. And it's like, well, that does happen. People go into licentiousness, but that's also not freedom. If they think they're free, it's, 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 you can't hear them too well from the chains that they have in their hands already, right? But freedom is a life of the Spirit, and Paul is going to address that very clearly. So legalism, rules, it's like being in a cell. Regulations, if you guys grew up with that, it's one of the biggest dangers in church life, of, of life of Christians. Licentiousness, controlled by sin, controlled by self. Terrible, horrible master. True liberty is to be controlled by the Spirit, not through laws, but by the internal regulation of the Spirit. He will tell you how to live. And that is something that we need to trust Him in it. Trust Him for our daily living. So now that you're free from the law, 
don't ruin your life by being ruled by self. And so that's the natural response, right? Throw the law off. I don't have to do the law. Yay! Who's going to rule my life? Me, people say. Yeah, we ought to say Jesus. People say, me, I'm going to make the decisions now. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I'm just going to live my own life. And boy, it's a slope down. This is exactly what's going to happen. Your morality, you'll be denigrating very, very quickly. So let's look at verse 13. For if you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's define the term, the flesh. The flesh. And I like to use something different than the flesh because in our English language, we like to say the flesh means a physical thing, right? A physical body. We think of flesh, a physical body. The Bible is not referring to a physical body as it's saying having a physical body is sinful. It's not referring to that. It is something that it's more than just the physical, right? It is referring to your nature, what you inherited the environment in which you live, right? It's the moral side of you. It's the intellectual side of you. It's the emotional side of you, right? It's how you think, how you feel, how you behave, your will, your attitude. Does anyone need to me to go through that again? <laughs> that's, the, that's the flesh, okay? It's not referring to, you know, your wrist or, you know, you're, you're, bound, you're bad because you have a foot or... Or, or because you have hair. That's not what it's referring to, and that's what it means in English, the flesh. I have a body. That doesn't mean God is not angry because you have a body. God gave you that body. What God is referring, the flesh, is your nature, what you inherited from your parents, and then from their parents, and from their parents. The reality of being a human, the reality of your behavior and attitude, your moral choices, right? Left to your own devices, left to your own accord and your own choices. What comes out of that, and how, what, I'm sorry, what rules that is yourself. That's the flesh, all right? So uh, we've been telling kids for quite a long time to express yourself. Uh, express yourself. That's been a big thing over the past 20, 30 years in high school. Express yourself. Just, you know, and now you have uh, things so out of whack that, you know, moms uh, don't change the kids' diapers because, it, you know, the kids uh, have diaper full and, you know, they reach into their diapers and they smear on the wall and then it's, oh, don't, don't, don't do anything to him. He's just expressing himself, right? Well, if I would have done that, right? Express yourself. And so when kids express themselves, now they're in high school, you have Antifa, and they're just expressing themselves. Society doesn't like it. Oh, look, they're burning cars, and they're, you know, they're, 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 it's, 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 it's anarchy. Well, they've been told to express themselves for all these years. What do you got against it? The school system's told them, you've got to express yourself. Now they're doing it. Oh, we don't like it. Well, the reason we told them we'd express yourself is because, not you and I necessarily, but society believes humanity is good at its core. And if you just express it, it'll be good. It'll have a good outcome. Look, you just, just need to express yourself. Well, the Bible makes it clear. If you express yourself, there's going to be a lot of interesting things that are expressed. There's a whole list of them that will be expressed. And so we have allowed this to be expressed. And so at the core of humanity, 
and this boy that goes against what I used to believe, at the core of humanity, at the core of us, nature, humanity, will, attitude, it's sinful, selfishness, and evil. I know that doesn't sound good to anybody that study in college or sociology or psychology because the, the, the understanding in the world is that man is morally good. We just have some quirk, you know, quirks and things like that and to be ironed out through uh, education and morality. And so now Paul is going to address this. Either be ruled by self or ruled by the spirit. And this is what it means, the old self, the old way of thinking. Paul uses this word in Romans. You're thinking, is it according to the spirit? Right? According to the spirit. Katanuma, numa spirit. Is it according to the spirit? Or is your thinking, the other one, the black, so you can see the difference, right? Katasarks, according to the flesh. Not this. What's in us, the nature of us. Humanity, will, emotion, morality. Is our thinking that way? And Paul's going to make it very clear because you can't think of them both at the same time. You can't be ruled by both at the same time. You can't just say, well, you know, if I would give a sheet of paper to someone that says, how much are you led by the spirit and how much you're led by the flesh, right? Give me a percentage. And they say, well, it's about 50-50. Most people would say that. I'm sometimes in the flesh and sometimes in the spirit. You know, that's not a very good thing. You know, it's like, I'm halfway in sometimes, you know. And we have to be ruled by the Spirit. And Paul is going to address this. Verse 13, do not let this freedom be an opportunity for the flesh. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is Paul referring to? Since Christians are done with the law of Moses, they're not... Under the law of Moses, there are two choices. You either abolish the law of Moses or you fulfill it. That's how you get rid of the law of Moses. You have two choices. You either abolish it, means you throw it off and you say, I don't care, or you fulfill it. Well, pastor, you said you can't fulfill it. I can't. But we've been studying Galatians, and he did. Jesus hung on that cross to pay a penalty for my sin Fulfill the law by living a perfect life. Fulfill the law of Moses. Got under the law of Moses. Lifted it up. Got under it and lifted it up so that he can lift us up above the law of Moses. He can fulfill it. He can raise it up because he actually is the one that can only can, can fulfill it. He came under the law, bore the, uh, the requirements of the law. He was under the law for his whole life. Fulfilled it perfectly. And now he can say to us, by faith, Believing in him, he extends to us not only forgiveness, but he extends to us righteousness. Not according to the law, but according through, to him through faith. Right? This is righteousness through faith. And that's the opposite of requirements and meeting the law by effort and fulfilling it yourself. So Jesus did not come to abolish the law, he says. He came to fulfill the law. And so now that the law... Christians are done with the law, we can actually fulfill the law. That's very different than abolishing. See, abolishing is, I don't care about lying. I don't care about immorality. I don't care about that. I'm just going to throw it off. I don't care. We're not under the law. <laughs> and they go right into licentiousness. Fulfillment is, 
I need, Christ has given me his righteousness. I can fulfill the law. How? How can I fulfill the law? How simple it is, isn't it? That's it, pastor. Okay, don't talk anymore. We're done. That's it. I get it. But boy, how hard it is, isn't it? Through love, serve one another. You can fulfill the law in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What was the main purpose of the law? What was the law trying to get us to do? It was trying to get us two things. Jesus summed it up beautifully and perfectly because he's the lawgiver. What is it? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as yourself. And this, that one statement or the, the component of those statements hangs the whole law and the prophets. You want to know what the entire laws and the prophets were, was about? It's to get us to do that, to love God and to love the person next to you and behind you and in front of you, even if they irk you, even if you have a problem with them. As a Christian, you are to love them, and therefore you can fulfill the law through love. Now turn to Romans 13, because that's the, not the only place Paul ever said it. He said, oh, that was just Paul one time. 13.8, Romans 13.8, look what it says. How do you fulfill the law? Love. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In our society, people want to be lawless. They want to throw the law off, right? You can see it in society. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I fight against any law. But as Christians, it's the Holy Spirit who's now guiding us. And now we don't have to be afraid of the law. We don't have to be afraid of not meeting its requirements. See, when we were under the law, back to Galatians, when we were under the law, there was always fear. Did you keep it? Were you able to do it? What if you didn't? Is there punishment involved, right? There was all those things involved in the keeping of the law. And I know it's very hard for us to think about it because, first of all, we weren't raised in a Jewish home. Maybe you were. Or maybe you were raised in a legalistic aspect of home where there was Fear of not keeping the requirements of what was intended to, to, to be kept. You had fear of punishment. Now the Spirit says, I'm going to lead you to keep the law. And the Spirit is going to lead us to do one thing. It's not to express yourself. It's to express love. To express love. And here Paul is not going to address the love that you have for God. It's interesting, he only addresses which one? The love for your neighbor. Isn't it interesting? Well, why would he do that? I, have it, I, I find it much more easier to love God than to love my neighbor. I don't know about you. Yeah? The rest of you are completely lying, right? <laughs> I find it much easier to love God than to love my wife or my children or my friends or my family, isn't it? Much easier to say, I love God. Why is it so much easier to say that? That's right. Hey, I love God. I went to church. I love God. I read. I love God. I prayed. I love God. But Paul says, you want to know the test that you really love God. That's how you love that person next to you. Then you can say, I really love God. And boy, there's that litmus test again. 
How many of us would fail at that? And we'll <laughs> hang our head and say, I really don't love God. Or at least, not really well. I don't love God really well. So the expression of the old self is no good. The old self wants to abolish the law and to live by self. That's what the old self wants to do. That's why we rebel against the law, isn't it? We don't want the law. We want to abolish it. We don't want to fulfill it. Who wants to fulfill the law? The old self doesn't want to do that. The old self wants to express itself. But, Paul says, you want to know how to fulfill the law? It's through love. It's through love. The Spirit guides me now to internally be able to, from the inside out, be able to fulfill the law through love. But how does that love look like? Because I could say I love my neighbor, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love Brad. I, but I, how, does it, how does it do? How does it work out? It's easy to say it, right? But how does it look like? Does anyone have any ideas? This is the part of the service where you guys interact. <laughs> how, does it, how does it look like? Patience. Patience. Kindness. Don't steal. Love does no harm to its neighbor, right? The idea of love has nothing to do with emotion, right? The idea, I just love, you know, I just love, you know. Love, brother, love. You know? The idea of love is practical love. The idea of love is taking care of someone. That's the biblical idea of love. How do you take care of someone? Well, you would have to know them, right? How do you love God? By doing the things that please him. By doing the things that please God. I, if you know God, you know what pleases him. You know what doesn't please him. And through love, you're going to do what he, what he wants us to do. I'm going to take care of the things that God wants me to take care of. Now, loving others is a little more complicated, right? Because God's perfect. He's so lovable. It's easy to love God. What do you have against him? He loves you. I mean, but boy, that person next to me, they've done something. No love, <laughs> right? There's that tit-for-tat environment that we, and we set it up ourselves. We set it up in our own home as a tit-for-tat. You know, I'm only going to love you if you love me, and if you didn't love me, and I'm going to remember what you did 10 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's this, this whole rigmarole of, of, of motion, right? And we forget the very practical aspect of love. It's just take care of them. How do you take care of your wife? Not everybody at the same time. Not every husband at the same time. Please. <laughs> Restrain yourself, husbands. Don't answer all at the same time. Make the coffee. Co These are things, right? They're things. We all have different answers. Why? Because your wife has a different agenda. agenda. She speaks for all wives. Yeah. The views of Susan are not the views of CCOD. No, I'm just totally kidding. Um, each person has a different need in a sense and it, it's like but you get to know your wife and you know what she likes you know what she doesn't like you know she likes her coffee I could, I could explain a little bit more on that but I could go on for a minute my wife has a very complicated coffee experience right so I, 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 it's hard but I know that what she likes but that took time isn't it it took time how many here, how many husbands here after five minutes of, uh, you know, after your wedding ceremony, you knew exactly what your wife wanted all the time. You knew exactly what pleased her every day. Anybody here? Whoa. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Frank. Frank, 
Frank, come on up here. We need, I need to sit down and, and, and listen and, hurt and, and, and learn. Right? But when we, when we, how can you go on after that? Um, when you made your vows, you didn't go, well, I'm going to make your coffee, I'm going to make the bed, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. That would have taken forever. But all you said is, I will be faithful, and I will be with you until death do us apart. And all that encompasses living with her or living with him and having to do all the things that please him. And that is love. Not an emotional thing. We haven't even talked about an expression of emotion. It was about taking care of them. How do you take care of them? Well, it depends, right? It depends on the situation. But it's all based on love. And when we're doing that, it's fulfilling the law. God says, fulfilling the law. See, all those people that try to fulfill the law, 613 commandments, you are doing it simply by loving your neighbor as yourself. Meaning that is such a, such a beautiful expression that Jesus said, because we know what we like and we know what we want for people to do to, to us. We, we, like we, self-preservation, we know what is good. And I know what is good because I like to do it to myself. <laughs> right? it's, the, it's, it's, it's that natural thinking to say, I know what is good because I love myself. I already, that's the problem with me. Right? That's the problem. But in turn, I have to take that love that I have selfishly for myself and express it unto others the way they are to be loved. Because I know what, how they're to be loved because I do a pretty good job myself. That's where the problem is, right? So love your neighbor as yourself. But there's something else. The flesh, if you let... Um, if you let self rule, your flesh will destroy you. If, you're let, if you let self rule, your flesh will destroy you. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you be consumed by one another. Right? It is destructive. Paul describes this, and it's kind of an interesting thing. Paul describes this in, in animalistic terms. Paul is not saying we're animals and we came from the zoo, uh, like the evolutionists believe. But what he's saying is our behavior would be like that of animals. I took my kids to the zoo, and it was quite interesting and fascinating to you know, watch chimpanzees and, and other apes and other animals, how they interact with each other. And one of them grabbed a stick, and he was chasing the other one around, and he was trying to exert himself as the leader. And the other guys were ganging up on him and back and forth. It was like, hey, I didn't need TV anymore. I was just like, I could just watch this all day because I could see, I could see humanity through that. And I could see, oh, yeah, that's like that guy. And that's what that guy does. That's right. Now, not in any way saying we came from the zoo. What I'm saying is when we behave like that, Paul uses his animalistic terms, devour, bite, destroy one another. Be careful, lest you be consumed by one another. The idea here is that when we are ruled by self, our behavior is no better than an animal by how we do things. We're destroyer. I mean, if it was left to our own accord, hum humanity will be destructive toward one another. Bite, tear, right? When you abolish the law, sin reigns and self reigns. 
And self wants to do basically self-indulgent things, right? And this is what happens in society. This is what happens in marriage, right? This is what happens in marriage when each of the couple, I'm just talking about marriage today, I don't know why, but um, I wrote it on my notes. When you let the couple, and in, in, in a couple, right, the, each one of the individuals wants to do what they want to do. And they are pulling each other in a sense of they're yanking at the rope and saying, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you say. And I'm going to get this done because, hey, I'm, I'm the man. And, um, you know, remember? <laughs> and there's this tugging, there's a tug of war going on. But each one is fulfilling the very, thing, the very thing that Paul talks about. When you want to be ruled by self, then this is what's going to look like. Self will reign. The law will be unfulfilled because you're not going to love each other. So the law goes out the window. Now you're abolishing the law. It's not even fulfilling the law. Now you're going, see this? I'm not going to do it. Ah, abolish the law. Because how do you fulfill the law? Love, right? So if you loved, you would fulfill the law. When sin reigns, when self reigns, the law goes out the window. The law is not fulfilled, and then the flesh destroys you. And you see it in husbands and wives. This is a practical case, right, where it's impossible to live like that. And husbands and wives tell me in, in sessions and counseling, say, I just don't see how am I going to live with her. I don't see how I'm going to live with him. And you know, I want to say, yeah, you're right, because each one of you, wants to impose their self-will in that marriage, and yes, you're right. You will not be able to live together. And they go, can we see another counselor, please? <laughs> uh, well, that's the reality. What needs to happen? Someone, both of them hopefully, but someone needs to allow the spirit to lead them and become the servant in that relationship and serve the other person. And then we could at least, only one amen, praise the Lord. Uh, at least now there is a move toward God and toward the Holy Spirit, and hopefully the other person is convicted of that and draws near to the other person. He's fulfilling the law, and now you are a voluntary servant to meet the other person's needs. And guess who's the most free? The most free person in that relationship. That's right. The other person standing with hand on the hip and going like, I ain't doing this. And the other person's free. She's, he or she fulfilling the law, being a servant. And the other person gets, how can they be so happy in this situation? I'm not. We should be miserable like I am. And, and it, it just creates this like good friction, I would say. Because one of them is going by the spirit, the other one is still stuck in the flesh. They will bite one another, they will destroy one another. Don't let your freedom, Paul says, to let yourself rule, but rather be led by the spirit. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Take that step. Take each step to be led of the Spirit. Now, some people have taken this extreme, and they say, well, I'm just, if I'm to be led of the Spirit, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit if I should have butter or margarine on my toast, if I'm to have a Coke or a drink or water, and people take it to the extremes. The Bible never goes into that extreme. What does the Bible say? It's talking about moral decisions. 
every moral decision that you make, and it's, it's to be led of the Spirit, right? The implication for right or wrong, let the Spirit lead you in that step. That's what Paul's referring to. The Christian is to walk in those steps. And so the, here's a clear example of how the Bible never puts faith as one giant step for mankind, right? One giant step for you, and that's it. It's a series of steps, one after the other. That is faith. That is salvation. You're on the road of salvation, right? Walking each step by the Spirit. It's not a one-time event. I took the step. I don't have to do any of this anymore because I have taken the step. Brother, welcome to the many steps that you're going to take. <laughs> and you've done one. Good. See that road ahead? Get on going with it. And it's by faith, by the way. You begin with faith, you continue in faith, and you end in faith. Romans 1.17 tells us that, right? It continues in faith. Every moral decision, walk by the Spirit as you make the decisions. And that decision is going to take us to this. Verse 17. For the flesh sets his desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. By the way, remember, flesh is not this. It's the internal will uh, that we inherited, the old self, the old creation. The flesh and the spirit battles, and the spirit says to the, uh, in the flesh against the spirit, and these are in opposition to one another. So you may not do the things that you please to do or that you want to do. What is he saying here? If we do this, if we begin to walk by the spirit, you are going to be left with a choice. Either one or two roads that you will embark every day of your life as a Christian. Self or spirit. I'm either going to let myself be the commander-in-chief of my life or I'm going to submit and yield to the spirit that day and walk accordingly. And it's going to be made very clear what those two look like in a minute. It is never both. You can't walk on both roads at the same time. Can't be one step here and one step there. Be a long walk. <laughs> it is be destructive. You can go down the road of the spirit and continue on with self. And you can go on the road with, of self and say, I'm walking in the spirit. It is absolutely impossible. You can't walk them at the same time, right? And you see this in you see this in people, you see this in life, you see this in your own life, you see this in my own life, right? Where people become, they wake up, and people say, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You ever say that? Somebody said that, right? What they're trying to say is, you're on the road of self because you're irritable, hard to get along with, you're, what, you're crossing me, you're rude to me, whatever it is. And uh, the other person should say, yeah, no, I got on the wrong road today. Help me to get off. That's the right thing to say. <laughs> to admit it. Yes, I'm on the wrong road. Can you help me get to the other side? <laughs> and then the person comes over and gets on the other side. But that's the, who wants to admit that? I'm on the self-road, you could say. But the Spirit says, you walk in the Spirit. You walk on the other road. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. It's incompatible. You can't go along at the same time. You can't go in the same direction because the Spirit wants to go this direction and the flesh wants to go in that direction. And you can't go in the same direction. The things that please the Lord, right? 
the things that please God, your spirit's going to want to do it. Your human spirit wants to please the Lord. It's going to want to do those things. But guess what? If self is ruling, it's not going to want to do it. And it's going to be this battle. When I became a Christian, I realized that there was a real tension in my life for the first time. I had never had a tension like that before. You know, tension? Like, there was tension. It was, oh, glad I became a Christian. Oh, I'm glad I became a Christian, too. There's a lot of things I realized. There's a real battle. And it was inside. It was a tension. When I wasn't a Christian, there was no tension. Just did what I wanted. You did, there's no tension. It's easy. It was so easy. I just woke up. Ah, I want to do this. Ah, you do it. Breaks. Ah, who cares? Next day, you do it again. Why? Because I'm in charge. And nobody tell me what to do. I used to think. But now, I get up. Hmm. I know my spirit wants to do this. But my flesh really wants to do that. And maybe it's somebody who's rubbing me the wrong way that day. My spirit wants to say, no, be humble. Walk with me. Trust in Jesus. My self says, let him have it. Twice. <laughs> Throw them under the bus, back up the bus, do it again, right? Pray for me. <laughs> there was a real tension because an unbeliever has no concept of this. What do you mean tension? Just get up. You do what you want, man. Come on. You're free. Live in the U.S. There's a real civil war that happens in us. For this further reading, read Romans 7 and 8. Paul goes into a greater description of it. Um, it's a civil war. It's a war in your life, but I, can't, I guarantee you this, that war will end in glory. If you continue on that road of the Spirit, it will end in glory. But the old self is still here until then. The old self is still there. Uh, you know, I have the same brain and the same body that I had before I became a Christian. Right? I have the same brain. I have the same body. I, nothing's changed in that aspect of it. I have a new creation. I have a new man in me. I have the spirit of God in me, right? And there's a battle. For that reason, there's a battle. And the spirit lusts against the flesh and the, and, 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 um, and the flesh against the spirit, right? And there's a war. And every moral decision can be summed up in this. There's a conflict. And we can choose to get on the road of the spirit or the road of self. If self rules, that's what you're going to make decisions on, self. If the spirit rules, you're going to be led by the Lord. And you're going to have those practical things. And you'll see in a moment how those look. And it can be both, right? It can be both. And so things that you do, and I've had this question, you know, very clearly set up for me. And, 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 and other, other questions, too, that people come up with. Like, you know, should I go to the movies? Should I go to the movies? You know, can Christians go to the movies? I said, well, I'm not going to tell you yes or no. The Spirit is going to tell you, yes or no. It shouldn't be a regulation. Church membership, thou shalt not go to the church, or uh, thou shalt not go to the, <laughs> go to the church, to the movie theater. And this is out of church. Uh, you shall not go. You shall not go to the beach. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. However, ask the Spirit. Does the Spirit want you to go? I had this question. Somebody asked me this question, honestly. Should I keep smoking? I'm a Christian. Should I smoke? And I know what people are going to oh, legalism. 
right? Isn't that in uh, somewhere, somewhere in Hezekiah 5? You know, there's a thing about smoking, right? How about this? How about this? Regarding smoking, is this a lust of the self or is this lead of the spirit? You answer that question, then you can figure out if you need to smoke or not. Pastor, come on, you got to tell them they're going to hell if they smoke, right? And there are people that absolutely will tell us that. Is the spirit telling you to smoke or is this yourself wanting to smoke and fulfill that lust? When you answer that question and you ask the Lord that, then you're, you'll be free. Guarantee it. You'll be free. You'll be free from self, and you'll be free from asking that question because you'll know what the Lord wants you to do. And not only know what he wants you to do, he'll empower you to do it. And so let's continue before I get into other things. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, I want to do good. I want to serve God. I want to follow God. My spirit wants to do this, and I'm torn because the flesh, the self, right? Um, isn't it interesting? And, and, and you guys can vow, you know, vow for this on your own life, but it is true that when you became a Christian, and maybe years later you went back to what you used to do, you couldn't do it anymore. It was so uncomfortable. It was like... I can't believe I actually did that. And, and, and I'll put it this way. It's not some kind of sin that you went back and did. It was just something that you used to do because you just did it. I remember. I just watch movies, whatever, you know, like action movies, whatever. Then years later, I became a Christian. Then I tried to go back. I remember that movie. That was a nice movie, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, let's watch that movie. You put it on. Five minutes into it. <gasps> they used to lose them in vain five times already. And those words, I can't, just turn it off. <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, how did I watch that thing? How did I do it? Well, because there was no spirit. And it was self. It was so self-gratifying. It was like, oh, I like it so much. Now it's like, oh, no. The Lord doesn't want this movie. And yes, Lord, Lord, you, want, you like this movie? Turn it off. <laughs> What am I going to say? Lord, you don't like it. Turn it off. But you couldn't do it anymore. The language, the thing that they said, the glorification of sex or this. And, and you're like, how? Who was watching that movie? It was like a different person. And that's what changes. And you're not under the law. You're not afraid of the law, right? The flesh is subdued and the law has been superseded by the Spirit. Verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. You want to know if you're walking by the Spirit or the flesh. This is, this is the, such a beautiful thing Paul lays out. So practical. It's like, okay, pastor, that's good in a sense of, you know, knowing what it is about. But what does it look like? How does it practically look like? Right? How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit or the flesh? How do you know... If I'm walking in the spirit or if I'm led by self, you know what you do? You look at the byproduct of it. You look at what comes out. What comes out of those choices in life, decisions that you make, right? If it's true, if it's true liberty, if it's a life of the spirit, then life will appear. But if it's the work of self, then it's going to be really death, right? And 
you can allow, you can get on the road of self, or you can get on the road of the spirit. The works of the flesh literally means it's a process. It's, 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 a, it's, it's an interesting word that Paul uses, the word well, works, the works of the flesh. It's like a, the idea is like a factory churning something and black, and you get something out of that. It's something that is sort of a byproduct of something. It's impersonal. It's something that churns out of your life. You know, you do this, you do this, and black you get this works. It's a work. What is the works? Well, the works of the flesh are divided in this. First, let's look at it. Sexual. It's evident in the sexual manner. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. The first three have to do with the sexual manner. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Sexuality. A beautiful thing that God created. It is so good. It's awesome. It is, it is God's uh, intended purposes for us to be in union, in a sexual union, in only one circumstance, holy matrimony. One circumstance that God gives that this is absolutely holy, it's good, it's pure, it's right, and it's when two people decide to live together forever until death do us apart and be committed to each other and holy matrimony. And God says, that's precious, that's lovely, that's good. And what has the self done to this thing? This gift of God, what has the world and self done to this? First of all, promiscuity or sexual immorality, right? If the circumstances that God laid out for sexuality is holy matrimony, this is the total opposite of it, right? The total opposite of it. It's the circumstance of the expression of that love. It's in holy matrimony, right? Promiscuity is, promiscuity is completely the opposite. Take a physical act and put it in any occasion and with every person that you can possibly think of, right? That's immorality. Take that physical act that's supposed to be for holy matrimony and use it anywhere and with anyone. That is promiscuity in a nutshell. What's the result of it? You don't have to, well, I could tell you, but you don't have to go too far to find out. Unhappiness, insecurity, neuroticism, uh, articles of, um, I've read articles, watched videos of interviews of college students, young ladies who uh, have been sexually active for years, and they get to the point where they go, is there any love? Is there anything? Is there any, you know, love exists anymore? And they are so jaded by the fact that they've been in this promiscuous relationships and lifestyle for so long, they don't even know what love is anymore. They don't even know what, you know, they think every guy is apt to get some sexual thing out of, out of them. And they become jaded and they heartbroken, insecure. All these things that happen, especially to women, but it does happen to men, it's different than men, but it all deals with promiscuity. What God intended in good, holy matrimony becomes this self-indulgent, and the, and, the, and the self, of course, loves it, right? Enjoy it anywhere and with anyone. And that is the work of the flesh. It is evident, the work of the flesh. I was reading an article. I sent it to some of the guys and, um, in Portland, Oregon. has become the capital of this uh, polymerous uh, relationship. Instead of polygamy is polymerous, what does that mean? It means that you don't have to have marriage because they hate marriage, society there. 
And so you can just basically have several relationships at the same time and live together at the same time. And uh, they were interviewing this, this man who uh, had married his wife, and, and, and his wife had children together. And lo and behold, she moves a guy into her house. And now he lives downstairs with her, and the other guy, the husband, lives upstairs with her. And she just goes, you know, from you know, the, the up, upper floor to the lower floor. And, and, uh, and, 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 of course, the husband doesn't like it because it was her decision. But everybody's doing it, so it's just a beautiful relationship. It's like we're so tolerant, we're so open. Look at that. I have two guys in my house, you know, and I didn't even marry to one of them. But it's a sexual, we're sexually open about things. What have they done? What have we done with something God intended to be holy and good? But it, don't, it doesn't stop there. Look what it says, the next thing it says. It's immorality, impurity. This means um, dirty-mindedness, dirty-mindedness, right? Um, entertainment and TV. Is full of this, right? The dirty mindedness, uh, you know, jokes with innuendos and things like that. That is the work of the flesh. Next, I gotta hurry. Sensuality, sensuality. This means an indecency that you're not shocked at it anymore. It's like you're desensitized by it and you love to shock other people with what you do, right? That's the sensuality aspect of it. It has to do with not being shocked at sexual things anymore. You know what happens when you become desensitized? Something that would have shocked you maybe 10 years ago, now you go, oh, that's another thing. But then you don't care anymore, and you say it, and you even act on it, and you do it, and you go, I don't care. Sensuality, works of the flesh. The next three have to do with the religious aspect of it. It's kind of interesting. They're all connected together. Idolatry, sorcery, and enmities. Behind every idol, there's a demon, the Bible says. It's idolatry. Evil spirits that grip people, right? And people become enamored with the occult. Spiritism, psychic readings, horoscopes, uh, tarot cards. And we've seen a resurgence of that in our society. Like uh, Christian Wiccan, you know. I don't know, that's like the most oxymoron thing I've heard. Or Christian witches. And, 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 and they have, um, you know, this openness about it. Because they're Christians and they practice the occult. And it's resurgent. Most millennials are throwing off, millennials meaning a certain age, throwing off Christianity or their faith of their fathers and going through occult practices. Satanism on the rise. But of course, that comes with, the word is sorcery. The word is pharmakia. Has to do with pharmacy. We get the word pharmacy. Has to do with drug use has to do with drug use, but it's also the idea of witchcraft. Why is, why is witchcraft and, and, and pharmacia, sorcery, drug use related? Because it's not a new thing. Ancient times, people used, practice witchcraft and the occult with drug abuse. It was a, a, a way to touch the spirit. It was a way to go through the natural world into the supernatural world through, uh, through drugs. People have done it for a long time. LSD was a big part of that in the 60s. It was the whole idea of touching the unknown or, or getting past this world and into the supernatural world. Isn't it interesting that as the occult has gone through the roof in our country, so has drug abuse? It's not, it's not coincidence. It's exactly what the Bible speaks about. Occult goes up, drug abuse goes up. Hey, we should legalize this, legalize that. Occult practices go up. Why? They're related. Uh, the third set has to do with the emotional life, the emotional life. What is the next one? 
enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissension, hatred. Well, you know what that is. Opposite of love. It's, it's translated enmities here. Rivalry or quarreling or strife, right? The idea of being a rival to someone and argumentative about something, right? Now, we talked about the works of the flesh and sexuality. We talked about the works of the flesh and a religious aspect of it, but we also talked about this is a little more, not so, it's not so easily detected. It happens in a, in, a, in a more confined environment, right? It's not obvious sexuality, but it's hatred, quarreling, rivalry, just uh, argumentative, uh, jealousy. The next one is uh, jealousy. The idea is an over-possessive, destructive relationship. When a husband becomes overly possessive, when parents become overly possessive, or a wife can become overly possessive, right? Uh, it's like this jealousy, this burning over-possessiveness. The next one is outburst of anger. And I love what the Bible says about this one because it gives you, the, the word has to do with boiling water. Boiling water. What is that? What happens, to, what happens when you boil water? <laughs> right? At some point, simmer, simmer, simmers, and then it boils. It boils over. That's the idea of outburst of anger, the idea that you're upset, you're upset, and you're simmering, and you're simmering, and you're simmering, and guess what's going to happen? Boom. It's going to explode. Outburst of anger. That is a work of the flesh. That is a work of self. Um, what's your boiling point? Anyone have a boiling point? Yeah. Let's keep going before I say anything else. Disputes. Disputes. This constant friction with others. Constant friction with others. Dissensions. Uh, personal. It's translated like a, a conflict or like a personal ambition. Basically taking, by rising up, you take others down. By going up, you take others down to get ahead. Uh, factions. To stand apart from others. There's like a division, right? And you divide over things like, well... Uh, like a prejudice. Well, he's not like me, or they're not like me. Uh, they're different than me. They're poor. They're, it, it could be a racial thing. It could be a social thing. It could be an education thing. Oh, they're not as smart as I am. Oh, they don't go to the same school as I did. Oh, they don't do this. Oh, they don't do that. So I'm going to stand away from them. They're different than me. I don't know if I like them. You know, factions, right? Factions among you. Uh, the last one under social or emotional life is envying. This idea of, by envy, or through envy, Caiaphas and Annas betrayed Jesus. For envy, Cain killed Abel. I figure that if I gave you an example, you probably understand what envying looks like, right? They envy them. Cain envy Abel. Caiaphas and Annas envy Jesus, and it caused a horrible situation in their lives. This is a horrible list. The works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. There's more. Drunkenness and carousing. This is in the social area. People cannot enjoy life without self-indulgence. That's what Paul is saying. People cannot enjoy life without self-indulgence. So there's always something that has to be added. And it's a different kind of spirit that is added to that life, right? It has to do with drunkenness, alcohol, right? Even kids' parties today have some kind of alcohol. <laughs> when I was a kid, even um, 
Even kids' birthday parties had to do with alcohol. It wasn't much for the kids. It was for the adults that needed to get together, right? But throw off all the restraints. Throw off all the restraints, and what comes out of drunkenness is a horrible, regrettable life, causing a lifetime of regrets. It's horrible. Carousing, wild partying, right? People can't enjoy, without, can't enjoy anything without stepping into self-indulgence, right? And it goes on, right? Because the self is on the throne. This is the works of the flesh. This is the works of the flesh. Now, Paul says this, and i got to finish. I warned you, just as I've warned you before. It's not the first time Paul told them this. See that? He's told them once before. I've told you this. Talking to the Galatians. His brethren, he calls them in, in chapter 5. His brethren. So I've told you this, brethren. Again, as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's very important to understand this. Paul in chapter 6 says, if you see a brother stumble, if you see a brother caught up in trespasses, like this, if you see a brother that has fallen into this, what must you do? Go get him. Pick him up. Encourage them with humility, with fear, lest you be tempted like he. Right? It's somebody who fell into this. It's somebody who was taken over by this thing. Right? Whatever, whatever sin that is, if somebody slips up, you're to restore them. But if somebody lives this way, this is what Paul is saying differently, right? If it's habitual, if it's something that people dive into and live according to it, right? Paul says in chapter 6, a man reaps what he sows. And here in chapter 5, he makes it very clear, that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you got a choice. Christians, you got a choice. Because Paul's talking to Christians. And I know the people will be different than me, but that's fine. I'll tell you what I believe the Bible says in this. Just reading from the text. Paul's talking to Christians. That's saying your sin is no less grievous than the world's sins. God doesn't go, ah, your sin's better because you're a Christian. God is not like that. God looks at your sin and that person's sin the same way. And he says if they're not getting in because of their sin... And you, who have been forgiven of your sin, live in that sin and practice that sin and indulge in that sin and immerse in that sin with no repentance, you will not enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is saying. That's what the Bible says. I just read it. I didn't give you, a, you know, someone's book and say, hey, that's what it means differently. That's what the Bible says. The Bible talking to Christians. I've told you this before. It's like they had to be reminded again. And in Ephesians, he tells them the same thing. Let nobody deceive you. Nobody's getting in if they practice such sin. Why? It's not a matter of slip-up. It's not a matter of somebody falling into sin. It's a matter of living and indulging yourself in that sin. And that is what the Scripture reminds Christians not to get involved in this. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, and I didn't leave myself too much on this, but this is, I'll just read it because we've got to be done. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. One fruit. You see that word there? One fruit. It's one fruit with nine flavors. It's one fruit with nine flavors. 
It's only one, singular. The fruit of the Spirit. By the way, there is a fruit. I forget the name of it. It's indigenous to Spain. They sell it in like South America. Monterosa Deliciosa. I think that's what it is. Look it up later. It's a fruit that tastes like different fruits. You eat it, and you take a bite, and it tastes like an apple, and it tastes like banana, and it tastes like pineapple. Seriously. Has anyone ever had it? No, okay. So before I'm called a liar, look it up and find it, right? <laughs> Monterosa Deliciosa. It is a fruit that has different flavors. It's wonderful. Well, here's one. A life that has one fruit and has nine different flavors. It's the life of Jesus. It's the divine life of Jesus being lived up in a person's life. This is Jesus. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's the person of Christ. Is he good? Is he love? Is he joy? Is he faithful? Is he gentle? Is he good? Is he kind? Is he patient? Especially with me, yes. And he has self-control. He was meek, right? All these things is the life of Jesus. An unbeliever can have some of these traits in their life. I'm not denying an unbeliever is not kind. Sometimes they are kind. Sometimes they are good and things like that. They, can just, they could live out those descriptions. But an unbeliever cannot have them all in their lives at the same time. Because it is only the divine character of Jesus that is in the Christian's life being lived out. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, loving care, joy, deep happiness, peace, quietness and serenity despite what goes on around them. Right? Patience, endless temperedness, long-tempered. You were talking about short-tempered? We use that word a lot. He's short-tempered. How about being long-tempered? We kind of lost that word in our English. Practical kindness. That's the word there, kindness. Practical kindness. It's not just, um, it's not just being kind. It's being practical kind. How do you be practical kind, right? It's somebody who's, the word translated is like good. It's being good. Uh, by the way, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea was called good. And Joseph, surnamed Barnabas, was called good. And you know why they were called good? The Bible tells us they were good because of what they did. One of them sold their field and brought it to the apostles' feet to take care of all the Christians that were in Jerusalem. And if Joseph of Arimathea gave the field or the, the garden where Jesus was laid in the tomb. Generous, right? Faithfulness has to do with steady reliability. Gentleness, humility, putting, not pushing themselves onto others, not wanting to be heard, but just being humble about things, and firm self-control, a person who has a grip on himself. All those things are part of the Christian walk, part of this nine-flavor fruit that's being developed in you. It's Christ Jesus being developed in you. Now, when you look at this list, you look at Jesus and you go, man, he's got it. He is exactly that. Lord, can you make me like that? Can you make me like that? Because you don't produce the fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, it's not produced by you. The fruit of the Spirit is, it's bared by you. You demonstrate it. You are practically showing the life of Jesus in your life by the demonstration of the fruit. That, along with the gifts it's a wonderful thing when Christians are using their gifts and callings and talents along with the fruit of the Spirit. It makes a wonderful believer.
verse 23 and 24. I'm sorry, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passion and its desire. When you become a Christian, things have to be cut for things to grow. That's true in agriculture in any way. Dan can vow for that. Got a wonderful orchard, wonderful plant. Dan, you have to cut things for them to grow every year. Fortunately, fortunately for Christians, that is also true in your life. In order for the fruit of the Spirit to grow, something has to be cut. What has to be cut? You. Your old self. The old lust. The things that the old self wanted to do, required you to do, the self-reign, the self-impose things that you wanted to do, the self-expression, all that the old self wants to do and have and do and experience has to be cut. How do you cut it? When you accepted Jesus, you said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Praise the Lord. I believe, I trust in you, I repent of my sins. And Jesus says, great, you're coming up now. Your turn. Really? That's what happens. We don't think about it that way, but that's the gospel. The gospel says Jesus died on the cross for your sins to save you from death and, death and hell. And now you follow him. Pick up your cross. Get up there and die with him. Your old self has to go, has to be cut so the fruit of the Spirit can be manifested and can be shown. It is a painful process, my brothers and sisters. We're done with this. It is a painful process. I don't doubt it at all. It is a painful process because it happens daily. It has to happen daily. That old person is going to come up tomorrow. Let me live. Get me off this cross. It hurts. And we have this tendency to go, well, maybe I can get him off the cross for just a few minutes. Just a few minutes, I'll get him off. And I'll promise I'll put him back on tomorrow. I'll promise I'll take that old man and put him back on the cross. My friend, don't go that direction. It is a deception. It is going to be so much harder to put that old person back on the cross. Leave him there. He belongs there. The old Marco needs to stay there. He has no place in the life of the Spirit. If he gets off that cross, he's going to try to rule you or rule me. If he gets off that cross, it's going to be his desires that you're going to want to fulfill. If he gets off the cross, it's going to be his ambition that you want to want. And he's going to rule over. And he's going to be very powerful and very deceptive in your life. He has no power unless you get him off the cross. Don't you dare get him off the cross. Don't get talked into it. (laughs) Don't get talked into it. Leave him there. It's painful to see it. I don't doubt it is painful. It is painful to see the old nature go away. Because you know what? We used to like what it did. We used to like how it made us feel. We used to like that he was the most important person in the world. And he wants to be again. But he can't be. Because Jesus is the most important person in the world. It has to be him. If it's me again, forget it. It's going to be destruction. And I will reap what I sow. So Jesus says, walk in the Spirit. By the way, next week, walking in the Spirit has a whole new meaning. Because Paul's going to say, walk in the Spirit, you and the Lord. And then he's going to say, walk in the Spirit together. 
There are two aspects of walking in the Spirit. You and the Lord, that's wonderful. I wish it stayed like that. But then he says, walk in the Spirit together. That's a lot harder. So you have to, like, march together. You have to be in unity together. And there are some Christians who just like to be alone, and they can't walk together in unity. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your Spirit that leads, that guides, that teaches us, that uh, teaches us how to walk with you. Lord, we are so thankful that it's the life of the Spirit, the life of Christ Jesus through the cross, and by now, the, 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 and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to live this life, the life that pleases you. Lord, may we endeavor today to seek after what pleases you. May we put to death, Lord, our members that lust that desire of self to rule, that desire that is in all of us, Lord, to want to be in control and in charge. Lord, please help us to put that old person where he, she belongs on the cross so that the new man can live in the spirit. We ask you, Lord, by faith, believing that you will help us to do this. And Lord, day by day, Lord, we can decide to walk in the Spirit or walk in self. Please help us, Lord, to do right every day, to choose the Spirit and not the self. Lord, help us to love one another unless you love us. Lord, help us to love our family, our wives, our brothers, our sisters, the lost, the way you would love them, Lord. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Because you say we fulfill the law because we do no harm to our neighbor, Lord. Therefore, love fulfills the law. Please, Lord, use this vessel in us to bear the fruit of the Spirit that we will represent those nine wonderful flavors, the life of Jesus, evident to all that we belong to you in Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing, before, uh, stand and sing this song before the Lord. For the Christian.